see tonight, so we can good afternoon and glad we can uh, be back today tonight. We have your Bible Daniel chapter 4. Uh, we'll continue our, our study through Daniel tonight, uh, looking at Daniel chapter 4. Hope that each of you had, again, a good afternoon. <coughs> and I uh, want to ask you a question before we get started tonight. What's good about God? Remember, that's something you were supposed to think about this afternoon. Uh, what is good about God? And we want to be the people who are proclaiming the excellencies of God. We've got to remember why is God excellent. Yes, we think about the stories from the Bible, the amazing things that he did. I uh, appreciate Dwayne's prayer talking about the creation and all those amazing things. But what has God done amazing in your life? Uh, what good is God? What makes God good in your life. So think about that and consider that. Remember when we talked about in First Peter chapter 2 today, that we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, uh, once not a people, but now we're the people of God. And he says, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, or aliens and exiles, sojourners and exiles, to live uh, a life with great conduct to those around us. When we think about exiles, uh, I have to think about the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel is uh, a group of people who literally are exiles. And if we think about uh, the, the parallel that exists and the command that we have in the, in the New Testament to live on this earth like those from the Old Testament that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, that they claimed that they were exiles on this earth, that this, home, this earth was not their home, that they were going to a better country, a heavenly one, and that's supposed to be the same thing for us. What does it look like to live the life of an exile here on earth? Well, if we look to Daniel, he shows us that, and that's kind of what we talked about as we've been walking through Daniel. Uh, remember a, a few things that we've, we've thought about. Uh, one phrase, again, that we want to keep in mind that we see in Daniel, we'll see it again in Daniel chapter for tonight is this idea of being loyally subversive loyally subversive Daniel is in a foreign land he's a slave he's been taken away forcefully from his home and he has made the best of the situation remember again several weeks ago I think maybe when we first started this study we looked at Jeremiah 29 we all are fairly familiar with Jeremiah 29 11 I know the plans that I have for you plans for a future and a hope uh, but remember we talked about how how do we live this life in a awaiting a future hope yet to be revealed okay because remember in jeremiah 29 jeremiah tells them hey i know that some people are telling you that this exile is going to be short-lived but i'm telling you that god says it's going to be 70 years so you need to build houses you need to plant gardens you need to get married and have kids you need to get comfortable where you're at christians uh this is not our home today i'm going to heaven today you're going to heaven if you're a christian but you're not there yet so how do you live life here now today awaiting a yet-to-be-revealed future hope? Daniel shows us how to do that. And I don't think that's an accident. I don't think God made an accident telling us, hey, live as strangers and exiles. This, this world is not your home. You're awaiting a heavenly home, a better home, a better country. And then he gives us Daniel to show us, here's what that looks like. So that sometimes we, we wonder, why is this story in the Bible? Why is that story in the Bible? And, and sometimes it's simply... Uh, to show us what these things look like. So in Daniel chapter 4, uh, we have this type of idea going again. So here Nebuchadnezzar is still the king, uh, but it's a different time frame. In Daniel chapter 2, you'll notice that it was the second year or the second year in the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. So it was very, very early on. Probably in Daniel chapter 1, we're probably talking uh, the year of ascension, the year that he became king, or maybe the second year of his kingship. And then in Daniel chapter 2, when it says the, the second year, it was either literally the second year or perhaps the third year because of the way the Babylonians uh, dated things. Uh, but now it's, it's much later. We're not sure exactly how much time has passed, uh, but if you look in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in 
my house and flourishing in my palace. Later on, we'll look at it, but in verse 30, it seems as if all the great building projects of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, again, we'll talk about that in more detail later, all of those things seemingly have been accomplished. So he he starts his reign as a conqueror, and now he is a ruler. Now he is someone who has expanded his territory in a broad, broad sense, and now he is enjoying the spoils of war. Okay, he's not at war so much anymore. Perhaps he still goes out on campaign. Perhaps his armies are still fighting battles. But now he's gone from conqueror to ruler. Uh, he has his, his empire now. So it's at a different time. Daniel, again, we don't know exactly how old he is now, uh, but you'll look at it and we'll see Daniel is... He's older now, certainly. He's more significant, more influential. He has a a greater position of power uh, than he did early on. So some time has passed is what I want you to get. Some time has passed between Daniel 1 and 2, certainly, and perhaps even Daniel 3 where he builds the, uh, the golden image. Some time has passed now, and this is Nebuchadnezzar and therefore Daniel at later ages in their life. Maybe not old ages, but certainly later ages in their life. So let's read uh, through some of it. We're not going to read everything, but we are going to read a good bit of, of the passage here. So hope, hope again you'll turn to Daniel chapter 4. Uh, again, starting in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream and it made me fearful and these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my head kept alarming me. So I gave a decree to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners came in and I said to dream, the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Okay, so he has another dream. Certainly, probably, as we talked about and when we talked about Daniel chapter 2, uh, that it was commonplace during these times uh, for dreams to, to try and be interpreted and for them to carry... Uh, in their minds, especially the Babylonians, to carry great weight. That they thought that every dream perhaps had some sort of big time meaning. And we see in Daniel chapter 2 and in Daniel chapter 4 that God uses this. Okay? Now, so what that means is when you've had a dream, I don't know that it always has a meaning. And I don't know that we need to, to seek a great meaning to every dream that we've ever had. But the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they believed that dreams had in very important meanings. And we see two instances in the book of Daniel where God uses that to his advantage. Okay? That God does use a dream for Nebuchadnezzar to, for it to mean something. Uh, in Daniel chapter 2 and also here in Daniel chapter 4. Uh, again, he calls in the wise men. He doesn't do the same thing that he did in Daniel chapter 2 where they had to, to tell him uh, what the dream was and also tell him what the interpretation was. Uh, apparently now, probably again, later on in his, his reign, he has more trusted officials. Uh, remember in Daniel chapter 2, the reason he wanted them to um, tell him what the dream was and its interpretation was because he thought they were conspiring against him. He thought they were trying to tell them, him things that would be for their benefit. So now he probably trusts those in, dream interpreters that he has. He probably trusts them more, so maybe that's why he doesn't do it. But notice in verse number 8, notice the king's affection for Daniel. The king's affection for Daniel. So he's called in all the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the wise men. He's called them all in, and they're not able to do anything. But then it says, this is, this is interesting wording, and I think it's purposeful because God does things purposely. But then it says, but at last, Daniel came in before me. This is King Nebuchadnezzar saying this. This is his own words, it seems. And he says, I called in all the wise men, and they couldn't answer me. But at last, Daniel came in. He, if he has a trusted confidant, 
If he has a, a trusted individual who he, he thinks, this guy will tell me what's going on, this guy will shoot straight with me, Daniel is that man. Maybe one of many, but Daniel is certainly uh, that man for the king. So we notice again this idea of being loyally subversive. Daniel, in the midst of being forced away from his home and taken to a foreign kingdom and in a terrible position, he has built a relationship with the king and he's loyal to him. They have a good relationship. But we also know that Daniel, like his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, are subversive. They are purposefully trying to make things that are bad good, that are wrong right. And I would think that the way of the exile, the way of for us today to live, is to be loyally subversive to the relationships that we have. Loyally subversive to our friends, our family, our co-workers, our neighbors, people that we meet at any time, our country. We're loyal, we're thankful, we're grateful for what we experience and what we have and what we share, but we're also subversive. We're not trying to let what is wrong continue to be wrong or what is bad continue to be bad. We're trying to make it right or good or better. And we even do that spiritually. So we have friendships or relationships or connections like Daniel had with the king. King Nebuchadnezzar is not, at least in this point in Daniel chapter 4, he's not a He's not a follower of God. He's a believer because of some things he's already witnessed in Daniel 2 and 3. He recognizes the existence of the God of the Hebrews, but he's not following or worshiping him. Um, So Daniel is trying to to make a difference there as well. But at last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar according to the name of my God, and in whom there is a spirit of the holy gods, or a spirit of the holy God, your version may say. And I said the dream to him, O Belteshazzar, uh, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is difficult for you, say to me the vision of my dream, which I have seen along with its interpretation. Then verses 10 and following, he tells him what the dream is. Here are the highlights of the dream, okay? Uh, in verse 11, uh, the tree, there's, there, there is a tree in the midst of the earth. Its height is great. That's in verse 10. Uh, the tree grew large. It became strong. It reached to the sky, verse, verse 12. Its foliage was beautiful. The fruit was abundant. It was provided food for all Uh, the beast of the field took shade in it the birds of the air inhabited its branches and all flesh was fed fed from from it it was looking as i was looking in the vision in my head as i lay down on my bed and behold a watcher a holy one descended from heaven he's going to have a a a word here in a second but uh, the vision is starts out with a tree and this tree is large and big and tall and, and it can be seen from the, uh, the edge of the world and its foliage is beautiful and it has abundant fruit and it says that everyone uh, eats from it, uh, that the animals come and take shade under it, the birds make their nests in it. I mean, this is a, a beautiful tree. Uh, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with it, you probably are, but if you get out here on Jackson and you go to Willow, uh, where that across the street from the Walgreens, where that big open green field is, I think some housing development used to be there at some point. Uh, in the fall, probably here in the next few weeks, there's a tree out there that turns uh, stunningly yellow. It's the only tree out there. But you, if you go that way in the next month or so, you'll probably notice this tree. And last year, at least, I noticed it, and it lasted about two days. Uh, but it was beautiful. It was just that that beautiful bright yellow that sometimes we get in fall. That's what comes to my mind when I, when I read these verses. It's a big tree. It's abundant in fruit. Its foliage is beautiful. So that's, that's the picture that comes to my mind. But that's, that's, the, that's the vision that he has. And then the vision continues, and there is a holy one, a, a watcher. Okay, and that's an interesting phrase that we uh, don't see very m- many other places. But it seems as if an angel of some variety uh, comes and, and makes a proclamation. 
and it says chop down the tree okay well why would you want to chop down the tree it's beautiful and it's providing shelter and all of these other things chop down the tree and uh, break apart its branches in verse 15 it says yet leave the stump uh, with its roots on the earth uh, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass and then it changes talking about a tree to talking about a person Talking about a tree, this is a vision, so those types of things can happen, a dream, so those things can happen. And it says, and let him uh, be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beast uh, in the grass of the earth. Okay, so again, it's changing from this description of a tree uh, to the description of a, of a man. And it talks about how uh, his mind will be changed, his heart will be changed from that of a man to that of a beast, that he'll live out in the wild, uh, that the dew will be upon him, that he'll eat grass like animals do. Uh, so this... This tree that is providing uh, abundance to everyone around them uh, is cut down. And then its, its form or its appearance in some form or fashion changes into a man. Uh, and the man basically becomes like a wild animal living out uh, in, in, in nature uh, and, and living like an animal does. Eating grass and sleeping outside and, and all of these types of things. And even, even the mind of the man Uh, becomes like the mind of an animal and it says uh, in verse 17 this is the edict by the revolution of the resolution of the watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high is is a is the powerful ruler over the kingdom of mankind and gives it to whom he wishes and sets up um, who whom sets up over it the lowliest of men okay so this is this is the dream and Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel the dream and notice Daniel's reaction in verse 19 then Daniel whose name was Belteshazzar was appalled for a while and his thoughts were alarming him and the king answered and said Belteshazzar do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you Belteshazzar answered and said my lord if only the dream apply to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversary so so Daniel seemingly as the, the dream is being told to him he knows what the dream is about and he is alarmed he's shocked he's uncomfortable uh, and and really it says <clears throat> excuse me again appalled and and alarming and we notice Earlier, we noticed that the affection of the king for Daniel. Here, I think we noticed the, the affection of Daniel for the king because he's appalled and the king recognizes, hey, don't hold back. Tell me what this means. I want to know what this means. And, and Daniel's response is, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, if only this wasn't about you. This, this is, king, this is bad news for you. And he doesn't, he takes no pleasure in delivering this bad news to the king, again, because he's got a relationship with him. He's loyal to this man who has, he's had interactions with for years now. And he wants good for him and, and not what is bad. Uh, so so he, he doesn't want to, he, he's not Johnny on the spot. He's not quick. He's not excited about telling him what it is. But because of the king's insistence and because of his knowledge, he does tell him what it is. And, and this is one of those, thankfully, one of those visions in the Bible that we don't have to question what it means because the Bible tells us what it means. There are some visions in the Bible that don't do that, so those are a little more difficult. Uh, but this one is, is one, thankfully, that uh, God tells us exactly what it means. Daniel is able to, to declare to the king what it means. It says that, um, uh, verse 21, uh, verse 20, 20 excuse me, uh, the tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit was abundant and whose there was food for all under which the, the beasts of the field inhabited and in those branches the birds of the sky dwelt. It is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong and your greatness has become even greater that to reach the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth. Okay, so he says, king, this tree 
It's you. It's your kingdom. It's your empire. So we think about that, and and again, we see the the difference between Daniel chapter 1, where Nebuchadnezzar is a conqueror of an already pretty powerful kingdom, to Daniel chapter 4, where it says his dominion is reaching to the ends of the earth, that everybody, most people, a a large number, a, a huge empire, his dominion stretches from from end to end, there's lots of people uh, that would be under his, his dominion. Think about uh, back during the time when the, uh, the United Kingdom was, uh, was an imperial power and it would say that the, uh, the sun never set on the, um, the British Empire, right? Uh, because they had uh, different parts of land all across the world. So there would always be some part of the British Empire that was during the day so the sun would never set. So similar to that kind of picture in our minds at least, uh, the kingdom or the, the empire of Babylon is, is powerful. And then it says, well, the holy watcher, who, this is uh, God's uh, edict or God's command of what's going to happen to you, that you're going, the kingdom's going to be taken from you. Uh, you can look down to verse 25, uh, that you will be driven away from mankind, and that, your, that your place of inhabitation uh, of, of habitation will be with the beast of the field, and you will be given grass to eat like cattle and drenched with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you know. And here's, here's kind of, okay, when's this going to end? Is it going to end? Uh, he talks about also the reason there's a stump, and you can read this in these verses. The reason there's a stump is because the kingdom will be uh, preserved for you. It's going to be taken away from you for a little while, and you're going to be driven out, and you're, gonna, you're going to literally be like a wild animal, But at some point, you'll be able to come back and this kingdom will be preserved for you. That's why the stump is still still there. And the reason this or the time in which this seven periods ends uh, is at the end of verse 25. It says, until you know that the most high is the powerful ruler over the kingdom uh, of mankind and gives it to whomever he wishes. Okay, so we've probably talked about or you've probably heard about this passage before. uh, The time when Nebuchadnezzar becomes like a wild animal and he goes out and for seven periods of time, uh, he, he's living like a, a wild animal. And it's just, it's one of those weird Bible stories, you know? There's, there's a lot of them. They're just kind of, that sounds strange. And that sounds weird. And are we sure that really happened? And, and that, that sort of thing. Uh, I have no doubt that this happened. Uh, you know, if, if I believe in a God that created all things and I believe in a God who raised his son from the dead, I don't have a problem believing this. I just don't have a problem with it. And, and the Bible says that it happened. And, and we, we think about, uh, you know, historians question whether or not this thing happened because they look at King Nebuchadnezzar's reign and they don't see a, a seven-year period in which uh, he did not reign. But you'll notice it didn't say seven years. It says uh, seven periods of time. So we don't know exactly how long he was this way. But I have no doubt that this happened. But the point for us tonight is, why? Why did this happen? Why did God take the kingdom away from Nebuchadnezzar. And we find that uh, in the second part of the chapter here in verse uh, 28 and following. Let's read it there. Uh, all this reached Nebuchadnezzar the king. So he heard all of this from, from, from da- uh, Daniel. And at the end of 12 months, so a year later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Okay, so he's on his palace in the city of Babylon, the, the capital of the Babylonian empire. Uh, and let's remember some things about it, okay, as he says this in verse uh, number 30. The king uh, answered and said, so basically he seems to be talking to himself as he walks along, or maybe some of his, his minions are following along behind him, and he says these words. Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal house by the strength of my power and the glory of my majesty? So we think about Babylon, and you'll think about the, uh, the seven, anci- seven wonders of the ancient world. Okay, Two of the seven wonders of the ancient world would have been visible from probably where he stood. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon, 
would have probably been there. Perhaps he's even walking along the, one of the terraces that have some of the hanging gardens uh, there. And then one of the other ones would be the, the wall around the city of Babylon was another one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. The wall itself was uh, 17 miles long. It was 40 feet high and it was 25 feet thick at its base. And it was said that at the top it was so wide that chariots could pass by one another as they were patrolling around this 17 mile long uh, wall. So as, as he's walking along, as, as, and you think about it, I mean, you're, you're King Nebuchadnezzar. Put, put yourself in his situation. And you're, you're there, and it's a, it's a nice, cool evening, and you've had a, a wonderful meal, and you're walking along and says, man, look at this city. Isn't it beautiful? The city that, that I built with my hands and with my power. And we can understand why he would be thinking that way, right? Because he is a conquering king. He's a powerful man. His empire, the dominion of his empire, is from edge to edge. I mean, it just, it's, it's, it's almost boundless in, its, in, in his dominion. And he looks and he thinks and he, he is, he's proud, isn't he? He's proud. Now, he's right in some ways, isn't he? Why, does, why is Babylon there? Because he's the king. And because he's a conqueror, and because of the, his conquering, he's able to, to get all kinds of tribute from all kinds of people, and, and he, he's wealthy and, and powerful and all of these things. Uh, but this is the reason, this, these words right here and the thoughts within his heart when he's saying these things, this is the reason that the kingdom is taking away from him. Look at verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, as he is saying, by the strength of my power and for the glory of my majesty, while the word was in his mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is said, the kingdom has been removed from you. And then everything that happens in the dream happens to him. He's, he's driven mad. He, he loses his mind. The, the, his, his mind of a, a man is taken away from him. He receives the mind of a beast. And, and he goes out for seven periods of time. Again, we're not exactly sure how long that is. Uh, but according to Scripture, uh, this, this king, the most powerful man in the world, we're not sure why or how other than God made it happen in some form or fashion. Is it miraculous outside of the, the bounds of, of, of nature that this happened? Or was it because of something that he, he did? Uh, I don't know. We, we don't know the story or we don't know the reason other than God did it however he chose to do it. And he is driven out and he lives like a wild animal, sleeping in the field, the dew in the morning, being upon him, eating grass like an animal does for a time. But then in verse 34, but at the end of those days, again, we don't know how long the days lasted, seven periods of time. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes toward heaven and my knowledge returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And then listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. Remember what the dream says? Your dominion, remember what uh, Daniel interpreted uh, the king's dream to mean your dominion is, is, is boundless and you're, you're taking care and providing food for everyone and everyone uh, appreciates the, the blessings of being a part of your empire. Notice what Nebuchadnezzar says about God. It says, for his, God's dominion is an everlasting kingdom and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can strike against his hand or say to him, what have you done? So in his dream and in the interpretation, the king is told, your kingdom is 
boundless. Your kingdom is amazing. But he says the dominion of God is everlasting. It doesn't have a starting time and an ending time. It never ends. And the kingdom endures from generation to generation. It's not measured by time periods. It's measured instead by generation. And all the inhabitants are, are blessed because they're being a part of, of God's kingdom. And again, it says uh, in verse, verse 35, the, the second part there, And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can strike his hand or say, What have you done? In Proverbs 21 and verse 1, it says that God is able to turn the heart of the ruler. Uh, and we think about this and we think about uh, past history and we think about uh, present realities. All rulers are used to glorify God and to bless his people. And we don't always understand that and we don't always wrap our minds around about how that works. Uh, but we can take comfort in the fact that God is able to use and does use all rulers for his glory and for his people is good. And then verse 37, here's really the point, if we think about it in the application for us today. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. And there it is. There's why this story is here. God is able to humble those who walk in pride. Now, here's the reality. If I were to ask you, hey, do you have a problem with pride? You're going to say one of two things. You're going to say yes, because you recognize you have a problem with pride, or you're going to say no, because you don't recognize you have a problem with pride, right? If you're proud of your humility, then you have a problem with pride, okay? We all have issues with the problem of pride, the boastful pride of life, everything that is evil, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, all sin, in my opinion, falls into one of those three categories. So there's no doubt that we sometimes struggle with the idea of pride. And we would look at Nebuchadnezzar, perhaps from, from an outsider's perspective, if we weren't looking at the Bible, if we weren't looking at the Bible, and we saw a guy who was the most powerful man in the world, and he looked down on his city, the, the, the ancient uh, wonders of the, the hanging gardens of Babylon and the, the beautiful wall. Not only was the ball big and impressive in that way, it was also made of a, a certain uh, beautiful blue stone. So it wasn't just powerful in a fortress kind of way, it was also beautiful. Okay, he, so what that means is he was, he was so powerful, he didn't just need a wall to protect him, he had enough power to make that a pretty wall, right? It was not just functional, it was fashionable. All right? He was super powerful. And we would look at him, if we weren't looking at the Bible story, and we would say, yeah, man, that guy's great. Hey, do we do that today? Well, do you admire in any way, shape, form, or fashion Elon Musk because of the things that he's able to do and the power and the influence that he has or Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or any of those great inventors during their time period? Yeah, we, we do that kind of thing. And we're impressed by them. We're like, man, that's, he's, they're awesome. And sometimes we can do the same thing for ourselves. And we stop and we look and say, man, look at, look at my family. Look at how great my family is. What a wonderful thing. I sure am glad that, that I was able to build up my family. Or we look at our job and we say, man, look at this new position that I've got. And I sure am glad that, that I was able to, I'm talented enough and skilled enough and I've worked hard enough to earn this great position that I now hold. Or we look at this or we look at that and we say, look at what I was able to achieve. And King Nebuchadnezzar would tell us that we need to praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven for all His works are true and His ways are just. And He's able to humble those who walk in pride. Is it 
Is it a bad thing to be proud about the accomplishments that you achieve? It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. What if King Nebuchadnezzar would have said something along these lines instead? God, thank you that I was able to achieve these things. That you, through me, allowed me to do this. Or that you gave me the power or the influence to do these types of things. What if we today were able to say, God, thank you for blessing me with my family. Or thank you for blessing me with the talents and the abilities and the time to be able to work hard enough to earn this or to gain this position. When we think about these things, it's not necessarily evil in and of itself to be proud of accomplishments or to want to achieve things. But it is a problem when we only recognize our own efforts and don't recognize and appreciate God efforts, God's efforts in doing those things. Let's pray. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to uh, walk through chapter 4 of Daniel. Lord, we thank you for uh, the opportunity we have to learn from King Nebuchadnezzar's mistakes. Lord, we're, we're thankful that probably the things that happened to, to the king won't happen to us, Lord, but we're also wary of the fact that we can, can know that you can humble us. And that may not be easy or fun or enjoyable. It may, in fact, be painful and difficult if we're not careful. Lord, instead, help us to recognize the things that are good about our lives and to praise and glorify and exalt you and thank you for all the good things that you have done, that you've allowed us to be a part of, God. Lord, we thank you for this congregation that we can be a part of. We thank you for the work that we're able to, to do for you. But Lord, we, we thank you for the time and the talents and the abilities that allow us to do that. We thank you for our families. We thank you for our jobs. We thank you for our accomplishments on the ball field or in the classroom. But Lord, help us to praise and honor and glorify you and be thankful for the things that you have done and not look to ourselves alone as the providers of these great blessings. Lord, be with us, and Lord, when we struggle with pride, because we will, Lord, please gently show us that. Help us to wisely change that and to praise and glorify you instead. Lord, thank you for your son Jesus, who gives us the hope that without him we have none. And Lord, we pray that you'll help us to appreciate that and to always humble ourselves before you so that you can exalt us rather than exalting ourselves, forcing you to humble us. Lord, thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Again, we have not been uh, offering an, an invitation uh, in, a, in a practical sense, uh, but again, I want to encourage you to remember that the invitation of God is always open, uh, that I'm always available, uh, and that God, more importantly, is available without anybody else. If you need to make some things right in your life, I encourage you to make those things right. If you're not a Christian tonight and you want to talk, about us, well, talk to us about doing those things, see me afterwards. I'll stick around for a while. And uh, if you want to talk about those things, we would be happy uh, to do that for you. At this time, uh, Jack's going to come and lead us in another song, and then we'll be closed in a dismissal prayer.